Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This fan base is amazing. The city of Cincinnati is amazing, and I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Desmond fakes a handoff right to the right. He's got all sorts of room to the 30, 25, 20, 15, 10, 5. Touchdown! Bearcats! 20, 25, fourth middle of the field at the 35, and he is gone! Trey Tucker will take it 98 yards to the house. Bearcats. This is week two in a row uh, that we have just been absolutely stifled and have really found no offensive identity. Uh, Things have just not been gelling. Defenses have been shutting down our offense with ease. Um, There's, there's a lack of, there's a lack of, Variety when it comes to our playbook, which I think is a huge thing here. But unfortunately, uh, Bearcats on primetime slot here today end up going down. Uh, and I mean, I don't know. I, I, I don't think necessarily we expected to win this game, but we definitely thought there was a chance. And I think the part that hurts the most about this whole thing is that the chance was there. And there was plenty of opportunities that... Oklahoma gave us, there was a few opportunities we gave ourselves defensively um, to put us in good position. And um, our offense is just completely unable to convert to make a touchdown at any point in this game, which again, I think is the part that hurts the most because we held, we held Oklahoma down. Like this is exactly what we hoped for defensively. And we did a fantastic job. Um, I, I don't think you can ask anything more of the defense. I said this, going into this week, but if you can hold this Oklahoma team under 30, you're doing a fantastic job. I mean, you've, you've stuffed the Oklahoma offense for the most part in this game. And, you know, you come full circle and here we are, we're still down and it it just, nothing happened. Like it, it was, it was just more of the same of last week in the end where that predict the predictability of our offense killed us and not scoring a touchdown at all in this game at home. At home, not scoring a touchdown, I think, is just insane. I can't even remember what the last time would be that the Bearcats did not score a touchdown in Nippert Stadium in a game. I mean, that you'd have to go back a long, long way. I, I would have. I want to look that up now because I want to find that out. But I could keep ramming on. I'll let somebody else take it. We got a few speakers in here. We got our Cincy Slangin' friends. 
got Go Beer Cats, we got Hunter, some usual. So hit me with it, boys. Well, I thought coming into the season, I thought there were there were just objective reasons to question whether the offense would be okay. Um, turnover of the roster, new quarterback, a very uncertain offensive line. And when we started the season against EKU, it looked like you were, I mean, it's EKU, but a lot of us were like, wow, this is exciting. We're throwing the ball downfield, taking chances, making plays. Emory Jones looks unbelievable. And it's been a, it's been a regression ever since that game. It feels like every single game has gotten worse. You use the word predictability, Justin. And frankly, I think that hits the nail on the head. There's very little unpredictability when it comes to the play calling of Scott Satterfield. And it, it gets worse and worse the closer you get to the end zone. It's, it's, it's a shame because the defensive performance in this game, I mean, it's certainly there's still some very big red flags on the, in the secondary. We're giving up big plays down the field too regularly. But ultimately, we only give up 20 points. And Dylan Gabriel is not that good of a quarterback. It felt like we probably could have forced him into more errors and turnovers had our secondary been a little stronger. But again, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna nitpick the defense in this game because they held them to 20 points and opportunities were there to put more pressure on them, make them feel more stress. And we simply didn't do it. And we didn't even get all that close to doing it. I think Scott Satterfield needs to to look in the mirror and decide if if his play calling is what this team needs the most, or if he needs to step back and be more of a head coach, be more of a CEO. It seems like that's what most of the best head coaches in college football are. They delegate the play calling and the coordination of their, of their defense and offense and special teams to subject matter experts in those areas. And to me, that's the first thing that Scott Satterfield has to decide whether it needs to be changed or not. I completely agree. I want to jump in here with this because I found this really interesting. Emory Jones in this game, 22 for 41, um, 41 passes. When you have a dual threat quarterback and I, I get that they kind of stuff the run game, Emory is also the leader in um, in rushing yards in this game too, which I, I think is pretty interesting given given the competition that you're up against. But I, I just I think again it felt like Oklahoma got to do what they wanted to do every time that they wanted to push us into a corner, they controlled us, and that that was I think where the biggest issue is, is because if we wanted to run the ball, they shut that down. They pushed us into a passing offense. We started passing the ball, and then they started shutting that down too. And then we switched back, and it's like every time we switched back, there was just again that lack of or that uh, lack of unpredictability, like we've mentioned. I think really kills you there because you just can't throw something different at them. They know what you're going to throw at them next, and you just kind of keep going on little runs of the same plays over and over again, and that's going to cut you it's off. Gonna, it's going to kill you every time. We didn't convert fourth down three consecutive drives. They're all fourth and two ish. I think they were all fourth and two short yardage they were. situations. And this guy's coming in as the head coach and play caller being known for his, his offensive capabilities and his ability to call plays and get yardage. And it's just, it's, it's wild to me how inept we've looked in these short yardage situations and, and inside the 20, is a completely different story. It's, it seems like we turtle up. It seems we play scared. We're afraid to try and, you know, get Emory Jones in favorable positions to, to make plays down the field and try and make some, some key throws. Instead, it's conservative runs up the middle, some QB draws. 
And it looks to me like the defense knows what's coming every single time. Well, yeah, and that's another thing, too. Like, when you look at the the makeup of this game versus last week against Miami, that's the exact same issue. You're, you're having such aggressive play calling really in the back end of the back half of the field. And then finally, once you get down, you have this full steam of momentum. You're churning a couple first downs out and then you get right into the red zone. And then, like you said, it goes completely conservative. Everybody just shuts down and there's no versatility there. And you run out of options. And when you run out of options, you decide to kick. And then eventually when you continue to kick over and over again, that's going to bite you in the ass because you just can't do anything. Once, once you continue decided to kick instead of go for some aggressive touchdowns, I think that's really what shows here because we did it last week too. Instead of going for that touchdown when you have momentum, trying to be the aggressor, uh, you, you kick and it's not going to work out. You have no momentum. Brandon, Brandon live from the exactly. field. Yeah. Hey. Life Gentlemen, I'm uh, I'm windows down. I'm actually still in my Uber. My my guy Issa is doing a great job getting me back to Delhi here. Uh, but some observations I thought uh, I thought Dante uh, really earned a lot of money today. He had a great game. I think uh, when the NFL scouts go back and look at this tape, I think he's this is one of those games where he's uh, going to earn uh, a lot of bonuses moving up the draft board a little bit. On the flip side of that, I think Justin Harris needs to be cut immediately. Uh, not he's just more than a liability in the secondary. Uh, I don't know how we don't have anyone better than him on the roster at this point. I don't. I don't know how he sees the field. We do. I thought Emory Jones. Yeah, as and, a, he's a second second string there, which is why he's out to start. Put Hummer in there. <laughs> I thought I thought Emory Jones in the first half looked really bad. I actually texted Coomer this because it seemed like he was just closing his eyes, chucking the ball up in the air, and prayed that something good happened, but it never did. I would I would say I'm going to defend Emory a little bit. I, he's been anything but stellar in these last couple of games. There's not a ton of wide open windows for him to throw into. I mean, he's missing some throws, no doubt. The decision making on that interception. Uh, where he threw to Xavier, two guys on him in the end zone. Terrible decision, right? But there's not guys running open all over the field. And this is where, again, I always chalk it back to the schematics and, and the play calling. Like, how how are we not getting some of these speedy guys open? Why are these speedsters like Turner or Wiggins or even Prater? I think Prater's been a revelation in his limited snaps. He's been excellent at the receiver position. It seems like there's enough speed and athleticism to get more guys into open space. If you looked at Oklahoma's guys where they were catching the ball and the type of space they had, sure, our secondary is weak, but it seems like we should have more plays in our bag that get these types of speedy playmakers open with the ball in their hands, able to get some additional yards after the catch, and it's just not happening. Yeah, and hey, I, Justin, I think... Go ahead, man. I, I want to tell you. The, uh, the last time the Bearcats didn't score a touchdown in Nippert was the BYU game in 2016. When it was one of, the, one of the worst football games I've ever seen uh, or witnessed live in an action. Um, i almost positive that's the last time we didn't score a touchdown. And that's the last time we played BYU too, right? So uh, let's go full circle to next week and do the same thing. Oh, I got yeah, buddy. I, I, I already had that game chalked up as a loss anyway, so uh, I am not very confident. 
in that uh, this Friday night 10 p.m. kickoff game. Well, the best part is Steve and I will be there live and in attendance. So um, if we could score a touchdown for the uh, hundreds of dollars in tickets and flights that we're shelling out to get there, that would be real nice. Um, but I don't know. It's not looking very hopeful at the moment. I only got Hunter, you got one them? thing to add, and our defensive line deserves better. They deserve better. That's the only thing I got. That I mean, that pretty much sums it up. I, I think that was – one of the most infuriating things about this game is that they really held up for four quarters and, and the amount of opportunities we gave our offense. Like we had, how many drives did we have in this game in total? I, I'm going to have to look here, but the fact that you gave your, op, your offense so many opportunities, uh, if we go down the list here, it was for the Bearcats, punt, field goal, punt, punt, interception, punt, missed field goal. Uh, field goal, downs, 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 and a fourth quarter. So, <laughs> I mean, that just shows you just how ineffective this offense was in this game. Like, you, you just can't create anything different. You know, and I, I think also um, Coomer had mentioned, too, a, a little bit ago about, you know, not necessarily dragging down on Emery in this. And I, I, I would have to agree as well because I, I think – there was also a couple passes. There was there was a wide open drop pass. I'm trying to remember who that was. I don't remember if that was. I think it was Mateer. Um, you're driving down the field. You're getting right into the red zone again. So not super hopeful. But there's a drop pass there. There's a hand that or catch that went straight through Singletary's hands, which puts you within I think like the six or seven yard line to score. Um, and, and you have another thing where his second interception was two tips off of uh, you know an otherwise decent ball. And ends up being an interception, and that's the swing in the rest of the game and pretty much nail in the coffin. So I really think that, like, as much as that versatility has not been great and he hasn't looked fantastic, I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna chalk up any of the people who are gonna, you know, be calling for Emery in this game. I think he's the guy. It's just gonna take some more systematic a, a more systematic play calling approach to get there. And, and you know, you do do some more no huddle stuff. Let let Emery just kind of do some more stuff on the fly. Like that third and nineteen, he had a really nice scramble. Ended up finding the first down. Like if we can play against some other teams that just don't have as aggressive and off of a defense, you know, if we can play that kind of same approach against, you know, maybe an Iowa State or a Baylor, you know, coming down the schedule where we can just let Emery kind of loose and, and let him scramble, let him run, and you're not going to have so many guys jumping on top of you. Of course, Iowa State, great defense, but, um, you know, not able to capitalize just like us. I, I think that's a that would be a huge thing going forward. Is yeah. Find some opportunities to let Emery take advantage of those situations and get some more guys open because the wide receivers just weren't it. I, I think that's – I think it's true. I, I, I think if people direct, first and foremost, their anger and frustration to the quarterback – you're, you're barking up the wrong tree. Like, our best option at quarterback is on the field. He's not – he's certainly an imperfect quarterback. He's not a Heisman candidate. He's not a guy that, that comes without flaws. I, I noticed early in the season that when he does drop his eyes and start scrambling, he's not looking up again. Like, he's not a guy who's going to extend it to find a play downfield. But he is athletic enough to get him outside the pocket. Um, I think more plays on the move is a good thing. There's probably some limitations there in terms of offensive line because it does look like that is not a strength of ours. Um, if we do have a silver lining from the game um, offensively, I thought Miles Montgomery, who 
always seems to have preseason hype actually did flash some exciting athleticism and burst on the field that was different than what you see with Kiner and and Ryan Montgomery. So Miles is someone that I'm hoping we can get the ball in space a little more often going forward because I do think he's got game-breaking speed and athleticism that's different than Kiner. Kiner's reliable. He's going to get you those those five, six yards at a time, but he's not. Always, he doesn't have the burst to finish the play, um, whereas Miles Montgomery, I think, does. The other thing I'll say from after now four games, what did we know coming into the season? We thought we knew that the defensive line was going to be dominant. I think that's been true. We thought we knew that the running back room was pretty strong. That's also been true. Everything else about this team was pretty much a wild card. We knew that we we didn't know what to expect of the wide receivers. Xavier Henderson's been strong. Outside of that, we we it's kind of been inconsistent. And then offensive line play was a huge wild card for this team, and that's been a big negative for us. And I think what the fan base was hoping was Scott Satterfield and this you know much hyped up offensive mind would cover up some of those blemishes, and that hasn't happened in any way, shape, or form. So it's been disappointing that the few things we knew about the team has shaken out in our favor. Everything else has essentially been worse than we than we probably would have hoped. Zach, we're going to hand the mic over to you. Can you hear me all right? Yep. Perfect. I think the biggest takeaway from this game is if we have this game and win last week, n- nobody's – you know, concerned, firing off the alarms or anything. Uh, the biggest thing I wish we would have done today is just get the ball to our guys in space. I feel like every time we just quick five-yard hitch routes, get the guys the ball, we're getting first downs. Um, when we're getting our guys in space, even on the screenplays, which I don't necessarily love, I felt like we were getting yards off of it. So whatever would just get the ball out of Emery's hands, I felt like that was working today. And then we would just kind of stop doing that in the red zone again. Uh, kind of the same story as last week. So as far as that goes, I think the defense played great today. It's just again, kind of the story of the game is the offense not not executing inside the red zone, which kind of stinks because we're getting yards. We look great from the twenty five to the twenty five, and then you just I don't know what happens. It feels like they're just completely different offense out there. Zach, Zach, that's an awesome point. That if you don't lose last week, this week feels a lot different, and it's nail on the head stuff. And it's the big problem that Scott Satterfield has now is that you dropped a game to the Miami Redhawks, because if you don't lose that game and you don't look as objectively, abjectly terrible as we did offensively, we're not really going to get too bent out of shape because of this performance in a, in a vacuum um, against Oklahoma. Cause we know the talent discrepancy. We know what Venables brings to the table defensively, but the problem is these offensive problems we had today, they were present last week against a far inferior team. And so Mm -hmm. I have not been convinced that this won't be a consistent issue for us every single game going forward against every single opponent. Well, exactly. To look at it this way, real quick, just to look at it this way too, with all of those opportunities that you have offensively, when your defense is able to, you know, shut some things down against Miami, which you would expect, um, you have so many opportunities there, and then you go fast forward one week, and you have the exact same issues against Oklahoma. The the part that hurts the most is like you had both of these games, mm-hmm. you were in both of these games for four quarters, really, and, and yet you still just come up with basically a goose egg in both when it comes to scoring when it matters, um, and, and that's 
that's to me, I think the part that hurts the most on this. Exactly. I think once I heard the stat that we had three trips to the red zone in the first half and only had three points, it's just like, geez, we should have been up at half, had a little bit of momentum. I mean, the crowd was into it today. I'll be honest, the crowd sounded great on TV. I wasn't at the game. It just sounded it sounded great. They're getting, you know, compliments from Clatt and Gus Johnson, which is just kind of insane to hear, you know, uh, kind of coming from the last 10 years and seeing that we're on big new kickoff and Joel Clatt saying we're one of the best student sections in the country. Like, you feel like we should have had this game and we just missed out on chances. Um, again, it's Oklahoma, like one of the biggest programs to ever come to the Nippert. So, you know, a little bit of, Objective thinking, but three of fifteen, yeah. three of fifteen on third down, one of four on fourth down. So you're four of nineteen on high leverage plays, and those are the plays when, in theory, that's when your coaches are going to bring out their best plays, their best, the the best option to gain those yards because those are going to be the most important plays of the game. And we went four of nineteen on the most important plays of the game today. Yeah, I want to give a little bit of credit here too um, to the Oklahoma defense, specifically Stutzman. Like that guy, that guy's getting a check for sure. Um, that that looks like just the absolute dominance that he's had in the first few weeks, and then walk into this game, he's got thirteen tackles, seven solo, and a sack, uh, three and a half tackles for loss. I mean, I know our offense has not been great so far, but that was an impressive showing, and like. I mean, you know, hats off to Oklahoma's defense. I really – I knew that Oklahoma had a good defense, and, of course, you would expect that just with the pure talent difference that they're going to bring in, um, you know, with four stars and five stars that they've got. But that was that was honestly the most impressive part of me – for me today was that Oklahoma's defense was the story of the day. And, and I said that earlier, but at the end of the game, Oklahoma's defense is the story of the game because you go through this entire four quarters and – they've honestly taken over the entire time. Like your offense has just been absolutely stuffed over and over again. You would expect Oklahoma's offense to really like try to pull away and they never really did. And that's when you, when you have a great defense, like we do, that'll let you hang around. Um, You know, those opportunities are on the board, but I am, like you said earlier, Coomer, I'm really nervous going forward. Um, You got BYU, Iowa state Baylor coming up. Um, That stretch I think is going to be, tough if you can't figure out how to score the ball um and, and your defense is just going to get more and more tired the more reps they have to play and you know it, it's risky the more your defense has to be out there um you know just for health of your players yeah, we, we look so very we got to figure we're, something we're out. definitely vulnerable if we don't figure some things out offensively because if you look at, at the secondary's performance early in the season here obviously sammy anderson's out having him return will be will be important deshaun pace misses this game because he's suspended for um what was it like violating team rules essentially, which we don't, we're not going to have many details yeah. on that necessarily. I did put a feeler out on the Deshaun pace situation because I couldn't help, but, but hearken back to John Brandon sitting Jaron Cumberland early in his tenure and how weird that felt at the time. You know, you've got a game here, big noon kickoff, Oklahoma in town, massive audience. And we're, and we're suspending one of our most important defensive players for the game. The feedback I got there is that Satterfield is 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 very loose typically. Like not your typical football coach who's like over overexerts power and needs to flex it. Like he's not that guy. And so whatever Deshaun Pace did to get suspended, I would imagine he did kind of reach a final straw with Satterfield. Disappointing given the game. Um but yeah, the 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 team 
is going to be relatively equal with talent with most of the matchups going forward. And so what's going to separate us in these moments is, is making critical plays and executing at the most important times. And the sample size grows, proving out that we are not doing that. And we saw Pittsburgh, a team that I think is going to end up being much worse than people originally expected. Uh, we saw them score critical touchdowns against us because of our secondary. That team had no business being close to us in that game. And it, it, it goes to show the importance of, of those two defenders coming back, but how vulnerable we are if injuries happen and we're not making up for it offensively. And it doesn't seem like there's much hope for that improving as the season goes on. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious, Coomer, what your opinion is on the rest of the season moving forward. I mean, clearly some things have not worked out for us. You take the road trip over to BYU next week. Uh, you got elevation to your disadvantage. You've got a few things not working for you there on top of just being on a little bit of a slide. I mean, I know we're talking right now post-Oklahoma game, but do you think they continue on the slide or do you think they have you know a good opportunity to bounce back against BYU or Iowa State after the bye week there? Well, we did our preseason roundtable, Justin. If you remember, I was the one guy who took the Bearcats under. And it wasn't because I'm trying to be like a Scott Satterfield hater <laughs> or you know overly cynical or pessimistic about the team. I did objectively look at this team and just thought, yeah, there's too many question marks. Like this team has, there's too many question marks in play for me. I couldn't get comfortable with, with having super high expectations. And so maybe it's why I'm not overly panicked necessarily. I'd say the offense has been worse than I expected. Um, I, we're not going to lose every game the rest of the season. I think we will at some point end this slide. I think a road game at BYU is a hard moment for us to do it. I think we'll end the slide at home. Uh, who's the home game after after BYU? That would be my prediction. Baylor. Baylor. So Baylor. I, I would, yeah. I expect us, I would expect us to come home and end the slide against Baylor going on the road. First big 12 road game, a uh, pretty, pretty rowdy environment. Not just that though, the elevation you mentioned physically is going to take a toll on a team that, you know, our offensive line to me looked like it did wear down as the game went along. And that's not a good sign when you're going on the road and playing an elevation. So it won't, it won't, it doesn't end the dreams of exceeding the over under of what five and a half. But I do think that if you're, if you're, evaluating it the rest of the year. Wins are going to be hard to come by. We're not going to blow people out. These games are going to be tooth and nail and come down to making big plays at the right times. Yeah, and this is another thing I want to look at, too. I know we've talked a bunch about it, but specifically when you're three for 15 on third down, uh, let's say, so some quick maths, that leaves you with 12 uh, if you cancel out your three effective ones. So 12 missed opportunities on third down. Um if you convert a third of those, uh, you've got four more first downs. If you convert a, f a quarter of those, you've got three more first or third downs. And, and in many of those situations, you just advance the ball down the field. And I think if we can just find a way to scrap together a couple more of these, um, you know, third, third down situations where, I mean, they're third and tight on, half of them some of them you, you you get pushed back and you got a third and long but a lot of these situations i feel like we're in that like third and five position you play that like qb draw and then you end up two yards short or try to run it off to the screen and then you, you end up another yard or two short uh, and you end up punting it there I, I think if we can just convert a few more of those third downs and give ourselves a little bit more juice um i, I think it'll work out eventually it's it's just going to take some time um, and I think one of the big things for us all to like kind of keep in mind is this game is or this team is really just trying to find a way to gel still um, as much as we all want them to like just be there and we expect like 
okay, you come out swinging against EKU, you pull one over uh, against Pitt, and then you know you kind of stumble here in the last two games. Um, I think everybody just wants the team to be there and be ready, and you know it might not be it this year, much less um, you know uh, with this roster right now. I, I think you might have to take another year of gel. There's a lot of transfer portal guys here. Um, and it's just going to take some patience, so, unfortunately. And, and as much as I think we're there, it just takes a few more right calls, right plays, right time, and you're in pretty much every game the entire rest of the season. We want to increase our probability, though, of making the right calls and converting at the biggest moments. And that's why I go back to what I said at the beginning of the podcast or the beginning of the, uh, the spaces here. I question Satterfield calling the plays. And it's not necessarily because I don't think he's a bright offensive mind. It's because he's our freaking head coach. Like, your head coach is worrying about much more than just play calling during a game. He's got to be involved Very in true. all these different conversations about who's on the field, who's available, what's happening on defense, special coordinator, you know, are we going to do a fake? Like, all of these different things, I imagine, are coming across the plate of a head coach during a game. And for us to think that he's got the mental, you know, capacity not in terms of like his actual brain working but does he have the time to actually call the best plays every single time during the game is it giving us the best chance of it if your head coach is also being pulled in this many different directions why not give up the play calling to the offensive coordinator who we do pay to be an offensive coordinator i feel like the best head coaches are are doing that and they're delegating it so that someone is focused on bringing the absolute best play at the absolute best moment to maximize their chances of scoring. And if I'm making a change, that's something I'm looking at right away is to, is to, is to delegate that specific task to someone else who's literally focusing on that and that alone during our games. That's a very good point too. Uh, Brad Glenn, I I think just even saying that name just honestly is, (laughs) it kind of feels bewildering for a lot of people because they're probably like, who the fuck is that guy? Because we just it, it's it's a situation where we've had no exposure to, you know, somebody who, like you said, it is their job. That should be their job. And, and I, I do agree. I mean, I think you got to take that CEO approach and you got to be able to control your team. And, uh, you know, with with just recruiting and like a season long span of um, just just hard work that you have to put in every single day. Um, as much scouting as you can do and as much as you want to figure out exactly what your game plan is, leave it off to these guys to do it. And I, I don't know if maybe he's getting like the whisper in his ear maybe from the offensive coordinator or if it's more of just like a it is full wheel and deal, Scott Siderfield, it's his show. But, you know, like you said, I mean, I think if that's, that's the case, you have to take a step back and look at it. But, I mean, let's be honest. Do you, do you realistically expect a guy who's a head coach of, you know, a team like this who is now struggling a little bit, do you think – when they're struggling, that they're gonna, he's gonna be willing to hand over the reins too. No, but we can certainly call for it. You know, like it's this guy's four games into his career, and your hyperbole is is raging in the streets already. But this is this is to me something that I can point to and say, all right, let's change that. Like you are the head coach, the results have been subpar now for nine quarters running. What are we going to change? How? What are we doing differently? And that's something that you can clearly tweak that is different and frankly if you're Satterfield like let's just talk about it from Scott Satterfield's perspective isn't that like a way to protect yourself a little bit from criticism it's a buffer like in some ways I'm like why are you taking this responsibility because 
if you look at it and, and look at the offensive performance, there's nobody else to blame than the head guy. And if you have an offensive coordinator who's calling the plays, Luke Fickle had this for years, right? First, it's Denbrock was the problem. Then it's Gadouli. Like, yep. you have a buffer yep. there between you and, and who's actually responsible for it. It's not working with Satterfield. Like, it's really, really bad. And if I'm him, I'm changing that right away. That's the first thing I change. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's one of those things that, unfortunately, we get to do with a magnifying glass and say, oh, well, you know, if I look closely here, I, that, I think that makes sense. And, you know, do that. And <laughs> problem solved. But, yeah, like I said, I mean, I, I think, unfortunately, there's probably going to be some stubbornness there. Uh, if he does change that, and it, it is a clear change um as like put out in the media that brad glenn's going to be doing some play calling and you're going to give that up to your offensive coordinator i think i'd have a lot of respect for him too and i, I wouldn't say that i'd lose respect for satterfield no. doing this but if this rut continues for if this rut continues through the byu game something's got to change right. and i like i said earlier i don't think that you do that to emory i mean I, I think he's clearly shown that he has the ability to um but some of those designed runs for him too like you got to look at the defensive look too, and you got you got to be able to find a way to penetrate. And, and as much as you consistently run the same play and expect something to change, and nothing changes, there's really not much else you can do or, but blame the guy who's calling. Or if plays. you want to be a, an offensive coordinator, reduce your salary by a couple million, and let's bring in a head coach. Like I just, it's this can't continue. You can't continue this way. Hey, I want to pivot real quick. Preseason, yeah. I, I mentioned the roundtable. A little bit of Oklahoma Sooner analysis. They were the team that I predicted would win the Big 12 this year. Obviously, Texas has come out hot, guns blazing. They seem like the obvious leader in the clubhouse to win the conference this year. In terms of evaluating Oklahoma's potential moving forward to win the conference, if I'm their fans coming out of this game, I've, I've, there's red flags abound. I think that Dylan Gabriel would yep. prove to me today he's not the guy who's going to win you a Big 12 conference title. He limits the upside of your team. If you look at how our offense performed today and the advantageous positions they were putting Oklahoma in again and again and again, and you only walked out of here with 20 points, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous and I'm concerned if you're, if you're Sooner Nation. So I, as a guy who predicted them to win the Big 12 this year, I'm concerned. Dylan Gabriel puts a limit on what you can achieve. He, he limits your upside as, as a uh, program. Well, yeah, and I think this is an interesting you know take too because – Let's just say you take Emory Jones in this game and Dylan Gabriel and you swap them. So you give Emory Jones the benefit of some receivers that's going to be a little bit more open, of a secondary that's going to get burned a little more, and you give Gabriel the difficulty of having to deal with a lot of the situations of coverage that we had in this game. I really think it probably looks worse. There's, <laughs> like, there's no and difference. And that's just being honest. Yeah, there's no difference yeah, between and, these two guys, basically. Yeah, and that's, that's the situation here. I mean, the difference between... 26 for 38 for Gabriel and 22 for 41 for Jones. One interception was bad. One interception was just fluky. 235 yards for Jones, 322 yards for Gabriel. I mean, it's that's just a placeholder quarterback. And, I mean, I, I think if I'm them too, like you said, you, you got a really good up-and-coming quarterback um, there behind him for uh, Oklahoma. I mean, I think you got to be considering the potential of using Jackson Arnold uh, and maybe letting him take a run. Uh, and that's, I mean, that's no, you know, big knock on Gabriel because I think the media is not really going to spin that uh, for Gabriel and say like, oh, like he had a bad game. They're going to look at the stat board and say, uh, you know, what was it, 26 for uh, 38 
as 322 and a touchdown, you're going to say, hmm, all right, he did okay. Then he'll move on to the next week. But when you look at that game and you watch that game, he got run over a lot of this game. So I'd be really curious to see what their perspective would be after this one. Um, Because, you know, 20 points, 20 points against even a good defense for Oklahoma, uh, that misses the mark, especially what you've had coming out of the first few weeks. Um, Clearly, they played some tougher competition finally. Yeah, it's one thing. I was a little frustrated with the defensive game plan in the first half, especially because, and, and look, you can't really have too many qualms. Again, only give up 20 points. I get it. But process wise, we were giving up a lot of yards simply because we were way off these receivers. And I know there's concern about being getting beat over the top. They talked about it against Miami that we gave up way too many big plays downfield. I'm looking at Dylan Gabriel throw downfield. And I'm like, dude, make this guy beat us over the top. He's inaccurate. He missed a wide open receiver streaking down the field in the first half. I would have liked to see us press up more and force the issue with Gabriel a little bit more because it seems like he is prone to making very, very big mistakes. And we did not put that pressure on him. Instead, we gave him these huge throwing windows for short passes. It was basically a bend but don't break strategy. It resulted in us giving up 20 points and 20 points only. Our offense could have certainly helped us out a lot more. But I do think there was an opportunity that we left on the table by not making things a little more difficult for Gabriel and forcing him to those mistakes that we've seen him make in the past. Yeah. And I mean, this is another thing too. If you look at the, uh, you know, box score really here, Dylan Gabriel rushes in for a touchdown. None of their other rushers uh, end up with a touchdown there and they have one receiving touchdown. Like if you told me that at the beginning of the game, that we were going to hold them to, um, you know, two touchdowns there. I, I don't I don't know. I would have thought that we would have uh, beat the brakes, maybe not beat the brakes off of Oklahoma, but I th- would have thought that that would be coming down to a field goal at the end of the game. Um, and unfortunately, you know, right there just shows the offense was the difference in this yep. game. Uh, a semi-functional offense against a great defense versus a uh, almost non-functional offense against a great defense in this game. So unfortunately, I think that's the difference today. All right. Well, I got to hop off here, Justin. I appreciate you hosting this for me and, uh, and uh, having me on here. Let me speak for a few minutes. Hey, follow uh, Viva La Cats, Cincy Slang, and go Beer Cats, and join our uh, Cats Color Social Club Discord. Peace. Absolutely. Great to have you on, Coomer. Um, and I, I think we, we've kind of exhausted most of uh, the thoughts here for today. Again, uh, Bear Cats unfortunately drop a second game in a row at Nippert, um, and, and that is the first time since 2017. Um, Brandon mentioned earlier this is the first time the Bearcats have not scored a touchdown in Nippert Stadium since uh, all the way back to the last time we played BYU, and it was either uh, 15 or 16 there. So it's been a long time, but, um, you know, I think this is unfortunately the point where uh, it might not be as much of a reload as we might have hoped, and it might be just a little bit harder of a reset. Um, and unfortunately, that can be the way it goes with the transfer portal. Sometimes you're on the way up, sometimes you're on the way down, um, and sometimes it just comes down to coaching. So I, I think there's a lot of question marks for us moving forward. I think we'll hear from some of the post-game pressers um, and get some more information there uh, and see where the Bearcats are looking moving forward. But um, yeah, tough one today. Bearcats lose 20 to six uh, against number 16, Oklahoma, who hopefully will continue to win and make our loss not look as bad. But uh, I don't really think that matters for much at this point because uh, we're, we're looking for bowl eligibility at the end of the season here. So uh, thank you all for tuning in this week. It was uh, 
rough ride today, but I'm sure we'll find a win at some point eventually. I just don't know when it's coming. Uh, it is a defeated day for us uh, two weeks in a row here. But like I said, take it easy, folks. Go Bearcats. And uh, try to enjoy the rest of your weekend. Hopefully the Bengals can scrounge something together this week. But we'll see. Adios. Sports Social Podcast Network.